Picture Bride, Chapter 7. Hannah awoke at 6 o'clock to the happy thought that it was New Year's Day of the year 1918. It was a time for new beginnings and a time to be grateful. She held her hands together in remembrance of her family and her ancestors. She beseeched Buddha and Tarot's Christian God to purify her soul at the start of this new year and her new life. She tried to hold on to good thoughts, but too many other thoughts crowded them out. She quickly thrust aside her piety and hurried out of bed. It was still dark and the room was silent except for Tarot's deep and even breathing and the ticking of the clock beside their bed. He would sleep for another hour, but Hannah had work to do before her guests arrived for New Year's breakfast. She hurried to the bathroom and lit the coil, coal oil heater, looking up at the ceiling to see the circular pattern of lights cast from the vents. It was a friendly, comforting sight, and she always looked for it before easing it with the kettle she put on top of the heater. Shivering in the damp cold, Hannah carried her clothes to the bathroom and dressed as close to the heater as she dared. Although she was trying hard to adapt to her new country, today she wanted to cling to the familiarity of her kimono, which still felt more comfortable than her western dresses. She put on her best silk kimono with the scattering of peonies at the hem, and as she slipped into it, she remembered other New Year's in Oka Village. She remembered the sounds and smells that drifted from their dark kitchen as her mother and the maid prepared for the New Year feast. The best years were when her father was still alive and pounded the rice for the rice cakes himself. Hannah and her sisters were always up long before he was ready, and having exhausted themselves throwing snowballs and building ice houses in the bitter cold, they would come into the steaming kitchen, blowing on their frozen fingers and clustering near a large earthen oven. When the special rice for mochi was steamed and fluffy, the maid would place it in the big stone mortar. Father would lift the heavy wood mallet to his shoulders and bring it thudding down on the mound of rice. The maid's task was to turn and reshape the mound between each blow, and as the mallet went up into the air, her hand darted in, escaping seconds before it came thudding down again. Pound and turn, pound and turn, hi, hi, yoy, yoy, hi, hi, yoy, yoy. The children gathered around, chanting with them to the rhythm of their movement. When the first batch of mochi was ready, father would squeeze small pieces from the soft round mass and let each child have one to dip in a bowl of sweetened bean flour. Hannah could recall even now the hot, sweet, sticky lumps which they could barely contain in their mouths. Gasping, blowing, and squealing with delight, they sampled each new batch until they bulged like plump rice cakes themselves. Hannah smiled to herself as she remembered, wishing it were possible to store such happiness away to draw on it when it was needed. But perhaps one was entitled only to such remembering as she was doing now, and the fleeting moment of warmth it brought to her heart. Perhaps one could store only a few such joys in all of a lifetime, to be pulled some day from the pocket of memory. And who could tell but that some day in her old age she might recall these very days of new beginnings with the same faint stir of happy she felt now. Hannah went to the kitchen to get on with her work. She was washing some rice with a firm practiced hand, swishing rhythmically, rinsing until the water ran clear. She added water to the first joint of her middle finger and put the pan on the stove to cook. Then she prepared the broth with a large piece of kelp and bonito shavings. It seemed strange to be performing such familiar tasks as though she were still in Japan, when in fact she would soon be serving her first New Year's breakfast to her friends in America. Taro usually had coffee, cereal, and toast for breakfast, but Hana couldn't begin a day without rice and bean soup. When she had insisted that on New Year's Day they must have a proper Japanese breakfast, Taro had suggested they invite Kiku and Henry, Dr. Kanita, and Kiyoshi Yamaka to join them. Slightly apprehensive at the thought of entertaining her first guests, 
Hannah had spent the last three days preparing a variety of special dishes. She had already cooked a pot of sweetened black beans, a dish that supposedly brought a year of good health to those who ate it. Still lingering in the small kitchen was the aroma of the sweetened soy sauce in which she had cooked such delicacies as lotus and burdock root, bamboo shoot, dried mushrooms, fish paste, herring roe, taro root, and such ordinary fare as chicken, carrots, and celery. She had put them all in her tiered lacquer boxes to be stored until it was time to bring them to the table. In another hour, she would broil the whole sea bass and toast the rice cake squares for the broth so she would be ready when her guests arrived at 10.30. Surrounded by the array of delicious food, Hannah couldn't wait. She filled a bowl with cold rice, poured hot tea over it, and ate it in quick gulps with slices of yellow pickled radish. When Taro came to the kitchen for coffee, he found Hannah flushed and excited, humming as she prepared the fish for the broiler. He was pleased to see that she looked almost as she had the day she arrived from Japan. You look very pretty in your kimono, he told her. I'm glad you decided to wear it today. It just didn't seem right not to, Hana explained. I hope Kiku won't think I'm being too Japanese. But you are Japanese. You needn't be otherwise. It's just that she tells me so often I must adapt to American ways. She says I must learn to cook like an American and speak better English, too. Taro put a finger under her chin. You please me exactly as you are, Hana. There will be time enough to be Americanized. Take your time with it. Kiku and Henry Toto were the first to arrive, bursting into the quiet of the flat with a torrent of talk. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! May good fortune be yours this year, Henry called out effusively. Hannah was still too bound by Japanese amenities not to remove her apron, smooth back her hair, and bow in a formal greeting. Our deep thanks for the kindness of the past year. Please favor us with your continued kindness in the coming year. Henry raised a hand to stop her. Come, come, Hannah, he protested. You need not be so formal with us. After all, we are old friends now, and remember you are in America, not Japan. Kiku poked her husband to silence him. It's the way she's been brought up. She's a lady and not an uneducated dumpling like me. You should be proud to be addressed in such a fine manner. She smiled at Hana then and exclaimed over her slim gracefulness. You do look beautiful in a kimono, she said. I believe you look better in that than in your corsets and dresses in spite of all I've said. Hana was relieved not to be reprimanded for reverting so soon to her past, and to find Kiku in such a fine, expansive mood. Kiku looked around the flat and noticed the two new prints that hung on the walls. She saw, too, the small Japanese dolls and figurines on the bookcase, and the two new vases, one of which contained a branch of a budding plum. A bowl of fresh fruit stood in the center of the table, surrounded by six individual black lacquer trays bearing the finest china from Taro's shop. Kiku was pleased to see Hana's feminine touches everywhere and to find that Taro himself had blossomed with a new warmth generated by his happiness. Sit down, sit down, he urged as he took their coats and hung them on the rack. Hana, bring some hot tea, or maybe Henry would rather have some sake, would you? But Henry was content to sit and to, to sink into the easy chair and talk. It's very gratifying to be a guest in your home, Taro, and to see you happily settled with a good wife and the comforts you deserve. You're the proprietor of a prospering shop. You're a fine Christian gentleman and a good American. You should be pleased and proud, and doubtless your parents in Japan are pleased and extremely proud indeed. Taro surmised that Henry had been warmed, that Henry had already warmed himself with sake before he came, for he couldn't seem to stop the words that flowed from his mouth like water from an open tap. He required no reply from Taro, but simply wanted a silent ear into which he could pour his noble New Year sentiments. He was stopped only by the arrival of Dr. Kanita, who still smoked the proper words of a formal New Year's greeting with a courtly bow. He also brought a box of chocolates in fine American fashion, saying, 
This is for you, Mrs. Takeda, with my good wishes for the coming year. Hannah had never before received a box of chocolates. She poured out her gratitude, bowing repeatedly as she thanked Dr. Kanita for his thoughtfulness. Hiyoshi Yamaka arrived shortly after, his nose and ears red from the cold, his eyes dark and alive. I had to walk over, he explained, thrusting a bottle of wine at Taro and shaking off his coat. I couldn't get my car started no matter how hard I coaxed it. It behaved exactly like a stubborn woman. Yamaka did not see Hana until she appeared with the tray of tea. She looked so frail and delicate in her kimono, he instinctively rose to help her, but almost at once Taro moved to his sister and Yamaka quickly resumed his seat. They sat at the table with its linen cloth, eating, talking, and drinking until well in the afternoon. Hana glowed with pleasure, for her New Year's feast had been excellent. Even Kiku, who was not easily pleased, had praised Hana for the delicacy of her flavors. No one except Hana herself knew, however, that her greatest pleasure came in having Kiyoshi Yamaka there to eat, which she had prepared with such care. During all the days, she'd shopped at the Chinese groceries and fish markets and selected the finest canned goods from taro shelves. During the time she'd worked in her kitchen, shopping and cooking, she had thought not so much of Taro, but of Kiyoshi Yamaka and of the pleasure she would give him. She had thought of all the 25-cent rice and curry meals he had eaten at grimy restaurants and the miserable meals he'd dredged up for himself at the dormitory. She wanted to lavish, him on, lavish on him today the most elaborate and delicious dishes she knew how to prepare. Only she knew that she was thinking of Yamaka as she put on her best silk kimono, and it was for him she had pinched her cheeks and bitten her lips to bring out their color. She tried hard not to glance too often at him during the meal, but he had taken the chair to her right and, gather, and gathered as they were around the small table. It was impossible not to be aware of his foot so close to hers or the occasional brushing of their elbows. Everyone was glowing fresh and garrulous from the warm sake. Hana had sipped one cupful, but it was not the wine that fed her excitement. She laughed and chattered more than she had done since she came to America. Yamaka told the story of the Japanese student who, on his arrival, had been invited to stay in a white man's home. Confronted for the first time by a bathtub, he washed and rinsed himself before getting into it as he did in Japan, splashing water all over the linoleum floor. When the water began leaking through to the first floor, he, his startled hostess rushed to the bathroom door, shouting at him to turn off the water. The poor devil was so alarmed, Yamaka concluded, that he came running out of the bathroom stark naked, causing his hostess to faint dead away. Of course, he was never invited to that home again. Hana rocked with laughter. Oh, such a story, she gasped, and absently put a hand on Yamaka's arm. As she did, she felt his hand rest lightly on her thigh. She quickly lowered her own hand to push it away, and as she looked up, she caught Henry Toda's eye. In an instant, she knew that he understood everything. He was drunk. But still, there had been a flash of comprehension in his glazed eyes, and he blurted, Ha, Yamaka, you rascal! You've always had a way with women. Hana saw Kiku poke Henry under the table. She also saw a look of both compassion and concern on Dr. Kanita's face. He began to sing a mournful Japanese song, closing his eyes as he reached the high notes. Did they all know then? All of them? Even Taro? I think it's time we were going, Kiku announced formally. We've stayed all day enjoying, enjoying breakfast, but tomorrow we must get up early and go to work again. As she prodded Henry from his chair, she looked at Yamaka. Come on, she urged. You too. You need exercise after all that food. Dr. Kanita rose quickly to support Kiku's suggestion, and quite abruptly the festivities came to an end. This has been a day to remember all our lives, Dr. Kanita said graciously, bridging the awkward moment of leave-taking. 
He provided the proper words and gestures often lacking in Japanese gatherings, for their ways were not those of casual banter, and silence was often the only response even to a happy moment. It has been a wonderful day for me, Yamaka said, shaking hands with both Taro and Hana. When the guests had gone, a burden of silence filled the flat. Hana felt it especially oppressive because of the gaiety that had preceded it um, had been so intense, and because she feared her feelings for Yamaka had been revealed to everyone. She hurried to the kitchen and broiled water in the dishes, scraping and stacking them, as she busied herself with the task of cleaning up. If Taro noticed anything or thought that Henry Tota's remark was anything more than a meaningless remark, brought on by an abundance of sake, he said nothing and revealed no anger. He emptied the ashtrays and rearranged the chairs as he straightened up the sitting room. Then he came to stand at the kitchen door, watching Hana prepare the soap sets to wash the dishes. He stood silently for several minutes, and when he spoke, at last, he simply said, Hana, I would like to have a child.'"